This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. The Holy Gospel according to Mark chapter 6, Mark 6, 1 to 13. He left that place and came to his hometown, speaking of Jesus, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The word of God in scripture, the word of God among us, the word of God within us. The story is told about the public sinner who was excommunicated and forbidden entry to the church. He took his woes to God. They won't let me in, Lord, because I'm a sinner. What are you complaining about, said God. They won't let me in either. (laughs) Maybe that's a little bit of what Jesus is experiencing after he returns home from life out on the road. He isn't the same person they remember. He's grown, he's changed, he's different. Wait, this isn't the little snot-nosed kid we remember. Jesus was a dork in high school. How come he has a following now? He could barely swing a hammer and build a table, and now we're supposed to believe he's healing people and performing miracles? But in reality... It is Jesus' repeated words and actions which challenge the status quo that likely disturbs them. He's questioned religious leadership and teachings. He's criticized the powers that be. And I think it's some of those things that are uncomfortable as he comes home again. And people who perhaps haven't questioned their things they've been taught by their religious leaders. Who does this guy think he is? Isn't this Mary's son? 
Notice there's no mention of Joseph. Probably intentionally so. A slight to perhaps remind people of his somewhat dubious origins. Now imagine that some of you, some of us, can relate to Jesus and what he's experiencing. If you've gone on any sort of journey in your spiritual or personal life, then you've changed, right? You've experienced changes. You see the world a bit differently. Your faith has shifted. The ways you think about God and and many other things probably aren't exactly the way they were many years ago. And often you're most vividly reminded of the changes that have happened in your life when you go home again. Right? Anyone relate to that? When you show up to a setting you haven't been in a while, where it feels like things are very similar, but you feel like you're very different. Maybe that's a hometown, maybe that's a church you grew up in, or some other familiar setting. And when you see people that you grew up with, and now you're in a very different place, that's not always fun, not always easy, because guess who doesn't want to hear about the changes that have happened in your life often? People you grew up with, maybe your family, and that's hard. That's hard. That's a little bit of what Jesus is experiencing, I think, in our text. Who do you think you are? People can feel threatened when you become something other than the image they have of who you should be. And of course this is true around shifts with our faith. As our faith develops, shifts, grows, evolves, that can be very threatening to people. And I think it's also true, and sometimes even more so, with political shifts political shifts. Today, of course, is the 4th of July, a day for cooking on the grill, maybe going to the beach. We've got great beach weather today. Watching some fireworks and celebrating. Right? Today is the high holy day of American civic religion. <laughs> Seems fair, right? A member of Congress recently tweeted, There have been two nations created for God's glory, Israel and the United States of America. We will glorify God. Excuse me while I lean over the balcony and throw up a minute. (laughs) But that's not an uncommon view, right? That's not an uncommon view. And I think we haven't learned very well in this nation how to locate ourselves in Scripture And hearkening back to our earliest days from the Puritans, founding fathers, and early church and thought leaders, there was this desire to conflate this new nation with God's chosen people. And we were to be the new, uniquely chosen by God nation on earth. And this desire to connect us with the people of Israel in the Hebrew Scriptures. But we are arguably the largest and most powerful empire the world has ever known. It's if we want to locate ourselves in Scripture, we're better off identifying some of the great empires in the Scriptures. Egypt, Babylon, Rome. 
And when words are written to them in the scriptures, perhaps hear them as words to us. But those are harder words, and that's a less fun scriptural exercise and personal exercise. And so it's not surprising how this has happened. We're just not invited to see ourselves that way. But I think it'd be a more true reading of Scripture. But that was an aside. So if you've taken the time to learn some of the history that you weren't taught in school about our nation, you begin to understand that the picture isn't so rosy, so heroic, so divine. You begin to learn that the words liberty and justice for all were never actually intended for all. James Baldwin wrote, what passes for identity in America is a series of myths about one's heroic ancestors. We're taught in school that in 1492 Columbus sailed the ocean blue and he's treated as a heroic discoverer in many accounts. And Watts glossed over is his sheer brutality toward the native peoples. And I won't get into details, but let's just say that some of the people, some of the native peoples began to commit mass suicide and even kill their own infant children because that was a better fate than falling into the hands of Columbus and his men. Think of that. We're taught often that the colonists arrived to a mostly empty wilderness with a few native peoples who had to be dealt with on the path to manifest destiny and westward expansion. But in reality, these early settlers arrived into a world in which some places were already as densely populated as Europe. A place where the culture was already complex, where human relations were more egalitarian than in Europe and where the relations among men, women, children, and nature were more beautifully worked out than perhaps any place in the world. Not that it was perfect, of course it wasn't. But it wasn't what we're often reading it to be in hindsight. And when you read the history of the violence and mistreatment that happened on this continent toward its original inhabitants, it does take your breath away. We're also taught in school that the Founding Fathers were exceptional human beings who truly understood human liberty, dignity, and freedom. And certainly they have established something enduring and, and powerful with incredible ideas. There's no ideals. There's zero arguing that. But as the myths expand about the founding of the nation, their faults sort of fall by the wayside. Well, yeah, but that was then, and they didn't really know better. But we can read accounts where they did know better and did what they did anyway. And in reality, many of the Founding Fathers owned slaves, didn't consider African Americans as human beings, only counted them as three-fifths of a person in the Constitution for political advantage so there could be more representation in Congress in the South to keep up the brutal treatment in the first place. Incredibly pernicious system. Some history textbooks benignly state that workers, in quotes, were brought from Africa to America 
to work the fields and help the new nation get on its feet. Workers. But of course we know the reality is that the practice of abducting, owning, and enslaving human beings was not simply an unfortunate footnote in our history. It wasn't an aberration. It was integral and central to the founding of the new nation and its economic expansion. Back in uh, 1852, Frederick Douglass was invited to speak at a 4th of July celebration on the 76th birthday of the nation. And he agreed to speak only the next day, July 5, because July 4 was a notorious day for the sale of slaves. And so he agreed to speak, but only on July 5th. And after honoring the founding of America, in very positive and, and encouraging language, he finally, at some further point in the speech, said, fellow citizens, pardon me, allow me to ask, why am I called upon to speak here today? What have I or those I represent to do with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and of natural justice embodied in the Declaration of Independence extended to us? Speaking on behalf of his African-American brothers and sisters. I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. What to the slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that revealed to him more than all the other days in the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is a constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham. you want to add a question mark behind the phrase liberty and justice for all. And when you learn about any of this history, suddenly the innocent Independence Day celebration of one's youth become a little bit harder to replicate because things are complicated. And the words, my country, tis of the sweet land of liberty, begin to turn just a little bit sour on the tongue when you consider that such liberty was never intended originally for non-white people. And when you learn some of this history, it changes you. And of course, learning history helps us see the present more clearly as well. And often you want to share this new knowledge with others. But if folks haven't been on that same journey or aren't open to having their narrative changed, what happens? It doesn't go that well. You can take your anti-American nonsense and stuff it. If you hate America so much, why don't you leave? I've been asked that more than once. As our gospel text reminds us, a prophet is never welcome in his hometown, or we might say home country. But I also remember the words which are often attributed to Thomas Jefferson, but more accurately should be credited to Howard Zinn, dissent is the highest form of patriotism. Dissent is the highest form of patriotism. It is very possible, in fact, I would say essential to love your country and want to see it improve. 
to love your country and wanted to embody the ideals it proclaims, to love your country and fight for liberty and justice for all. You can learn all this history and still love your country. And of course, the truth is any reasonable reading of American history will tell you that while those have been our long-held ideals, we have yet to fully embody them. And so we have to avoid falling into the idea that America has perfect origins or is somehow divinely blessed in a way that other nations are. But we also must not fall into the opposite binary of it's all bad. That's clearly not the case either. And if I lean a little more one way than the other, it's because I think for many of us, the balance has always been on the good and glossing over the less good. So I might lean one way more than the other, but there are many good things we've all experienced that have come out of this nation. So don't hear me saying it's all bad because it isn't. James Baldwin put it this way, American history is longer larger, more various, more beautiful, and more terrible than anything anyone has ever said about it. Right? Like just about everything else in life, it's complicated. It's complicated. But if we don't learn our own history, we cannot appropriately understand the present. And if we don't understand the present, we'll struggle to create a better future, a future where there truly is liberty and justice for all. So Jesus is rejected at his hometown. Perhaps you've experienced something similar. But Jesus doesn't mope. He doesn't give up. He heals a few people and then he gets out of there. I'm done here. Done all I can. He goes out among the villages, calls the 12 disciples, and says, get after it. It's a loose translation. And as one writer puts it, they traveled the countryside exercising the demons of social and imperial injustice. Well, there's so much more that could be said this morning, friends, and I cut out a lot that I wanted to say for sake of time. But I'll leave it with this. Enjoy the day, celebrate, shoot off some fireworks, and then find some friends, some companions for the journey who are ready to join you in the pursuit of justice, peace, and the common good, who truly want to extend liberty and justice for all. I have a hunch that's what Jesus would want us to do. Amen. Amen. May it be so. Invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.